Okay, we're going to be diving in today uh, again into the book of Esther. Last time we looked at Esther chapters 1 through 3. And uh, part of why we're in Esther right now is because we started Ezra. And as things would have it, one thing leads to another. So we got halfway through Ezra and then decided this is the right time because timeline-wise, this is where Esther would fit in. So um, we paused Ezra and um, began Esther and got to the point in the story where um, the Ezra, I mean, excuse me, Esther has been appointed the queen um, to replace Queen Vashti and... um, while this is going on in the, uh, Sherry, if you want to make sure of my timeline here, um, the temple has been built at this point. Is that correct? That that's complete? Yes. Okay. And then this is kind of right before Ezra is sent out to go to Jerusalem. Correct. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, so in the book of Esther in the storyline, um, the last part of chapter three is where we read about the edict going out uh, against the Jews and it just being in, in uh, uproar. Um, and we're about to get into chapter four where we see specifically um, how Esther and Mordecai deal with this news and kind of their interaction with that. Um, before we get started on chapters four through six, any overall themes that stood out to either one of you uh, in this section where we're, um, where the narrative is going to go from um, Esther deciding to uh, be bold and uh, have a word with the king, Haman um, getting getting embarrassed, um, many well should be embarrassed, but um, getting frustrated and then um, and humiliated with Mordecai's honor, and then um, well, and that's I think where we are ending, right? Okay, so anything anything specific that y'all saw in those readings before we do the specific chapters? Um, I guess the only thing that really stood out to me, because it always stands out to me, is the Mordecai Haman subplot. Like, that might be my favorite part of Esther more than Esther herself, because you really see Haman trying to glorify himself, especially in his conversation with the king, and then that ends up just, like, turning on him, and he has to, to honor Mordecai, and then towards we see... So we see set up that he like has the gallows set up that he's ultimately gonna be hanged on. I don't know. I just think it sets up a lot of cool things for the end of the book in these couple of chapters. Yeah. Sherry, what about you? A couple of things. Um, We we're we're gonna see continuing uh, with the themes that we saw in the first three chapters, um, and even sort of ramping up. Um, the theme that we talked about where it seems like everyone is taking advice from someone else um, 
uh, we'll, we'll see um, we've seen the king taking advice from from multiple individuals regarding whatever he's doing um, uh, we are going to see Haman actually taking advice from his you know family and, and friends um, Esther taking advice from Mordecai um, the only person that's not taking someone else's advice I think is Mordecai He's basically saying, no, this is what you should do. Um, also, the theme of um, that we talked about before of the feasts, there's just a lot of banqueting going on here. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, it opens with a feast, it ends with a feast. There's a, there was a feast when Esther was appointed queen, and now Esther's giving two feasts, and so there's just all kinds of feasting going on around here. And um, so I think that's... Um, I think that's another one of the things that I that I, that we see, and also, um, like Elizabeth said, the subplot kind of between Mordecai and Haman, and um, how that fits in with the thing what what we talked about with um, the Saul versus the Amalekites theme, um, where it seems like um, so Saul was supposed to eradicate the Amalekites, didn't do it. So now it's coming back around. And so basically God is going to go ahead and just take care of it, mm-hmm. um, which is something Saul should have done. And um, so we're going to see that played out as well, that God is going to go, okay, fine, mm-hmm. I'll take care of it. Yeah. Um, and I will wipe out the, Am- or the Amalekites if you all can't do it. Um, because this is what happens when I tell you to do something and you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, the, those are the things that I saw. Okay, um, th- so several things, and we'll go into them as we go through each chapter. But uh, one of the main themes in my last read through uh, to me was the, and I don't know, you know, this is probably not an on purpose. It's just a summer thing. But the juxtaposition that I was seeing between Haman's uh, just uh, oh. There's a, what's the word I'm trying to come up with? His arrogance um, versus uh, Esther's humility, and just how each of those played out every step of the way for both of them. Um, and so, anyway, that was striking to me on this section in particular. Um, so, anyway, like I've already said, you've got Mordecai and Haman um, going on there, but that was an interesting kind of. Uh, contrast I guess uh, in four through six for me so okay well we'll jump in in chapter four and uh, we have been joined by Joe and her daughter Elizabeth and I'm so glad that y'all are able to sit in with us for this Um, and I don't know if we've gone through just kind of the layout of the land here but we just basically go through each chapter pull out points and then hit the next chapter so very straightforward so um, Sherry, if you don't mind, would you read chapter 4 to start us off? Certainly. Let's go chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, where no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the kingdom king's command and his decree reached there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes 
When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he might live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that you yourself in the king's palace will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Okay, I feel like I just need to start with an apology to Sherry, because mentally last week, I, when you were talking about there not being a mention of god or prayer mm-hmm. i was with you on the god and i was like i'm pretty sure there was prayer and you had mentioned the um you know at ordering the fast and that's exactly where my mm-hmm. mind went to i was like fasting and praying i mean that's always together i knew it you know mm-hmm. anyway and then when i reread i was like there's no prayer i mean that's what in my mm-hmm. mind i was like there totally is prayer sharing, but I'm not going to call you out. I'm going to go look it up. Anyway, so mental apology. Not that I said anything out loud, but I felt pretty guilty about mentally going, no, there's totally prayer. Anyway, um, that was that was eye-opening to me. Um, and I know other people have made that, uh, and I felt really dumb after realizing other commentators have made, <laughs> made that uh, uh, observation. But that is so interesting that here... It is left out, mm-hmm. but obviously, I mean, what would go along with that other than praying? I mean, what would be the point, right. you know? So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, in from this chapter, uh, what I have pulled from that was, um, one, and these, I hope these aren't too much of side tangents, but one, that there is an appropriate time for a display of mourning and that's what we see in Mordecai where he is openly um, making a display of this and it's not simply for show there is a point to it Um, and you know Esther and I you know my heart goes out to Esther because I feel like I would be that person that was embarrassed by a relative and would send clothes and go look get yourself together like you know come on and 
he says, no, this is, no, this is not okay, you know, and then gives the rest of the details to Esther, of course, um, through the servant. And um, the other things that uh, that I pulled from here were, um, I, I, did, I did not remember Haman proposing to pay for the slaughter of the Jews. I don't know why I don't remember that, but that was something else that uh, was striking to me that it's not just it's not enough to say this is the decree let this happen but I will pay you to murder these people I mean that just I don't know it put a bit in my stomach when I read through uh, this time on that and then lastly uh, Esther calling her for her feast and that you know beautiful and most famous I think part of this whole book uh, where she, you know, says that she will um, step up to the calling, so to speak. And I love Mordecai's um, speech to her that you can make your own choice. There will be deliverance. Mm -hmm. And you can choose whether or not you want to be a part of that or not. But if you choose not to, we will die. You know, mm -hmm. that's just certain. Mm -hmm. Um but it, you do have an option to be a part of the deliverance of the Jewish people. So anyway, just a beautiful chapter. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot more, so I don't want to hog the mm -hmm. time. But Elizabeth, what did you have from chapter four? Yeah, I'm trying to kind of mentally work through the comments you made about, like, being embarrassed about your relatives. Um, and like, hey, you need to pull it together, man. Um, because... The way the ESV renders it, it says that she was deeply distressed, mm -hmm. which is, doesn't convey quite as much emotion as I was reading New American Standard earlier this afternoon, and it said she arrived in great anguish. Mm -hmm. So I'm having a kind of hard time gauging exactly like how worked up she was about mm -hmm. this. And Mordecai even says, like, hey, you think this isn't going to affect you, but like it's still going to get you. Just because you're the queen doesn't mean you're above this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he said that just as motivation or if that might have been something that she was legitimately struggling with like oh you know this isn't my problem I'm the queen I'm up here in the palace like whatever mm -hmm. um but I don't think that entirely fits in with her character as well mm -hmm. so I'm just kind of grappling through the language there <clears throat> the other thing I thought of something that doesn't re didn't really stick with me until now um was the whole like social rules of you can't go see the king, he's got extended scepter, and that she had not been like summoned to him in 30 days, and younger Elizabeth was like, dude, that, that's your husband, just like, go talk to him. Mm -hmm. But then, when we were talking about it earlier with the harems, and there was like the, the pre-harem, and then there was the, the official harem, and mm -hmm. it's like, okay, this was not just social, this was political, and there's all these knots tied into it. So then it makes a lot more sense that, like, oh, if she goes and does this, number one, it's against the law, and number two, she could die. But then I think the ultimatum that Mordecai gives is, like, basically, if you try to do something, there's a chance you might die. But if you don't do anything, we're definitely all going to die. Mm -hmm. So those are just my impressions and the things that I was thinking through with that. Okay. Sherry? Um, <clears throat> so... Um, I really like this passage where um, where Mordecai uh, and I think I think this is one of the passages that speaks to us um, throughout the ages is that um, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So 
and it touches me because there have been a lot of times in my life where I've thought, I, I, I don't want to get involved in this. Mm -hmm. And then someone has said, <laughs> I mean, a good friend of mine, you know, when I, when I was, we were struggling about whether to take someone in as a, a pseudo foster child, um, the aunt of the person said, well, <laughs> she didn't even put it, she didn't put it exactly like this, but the point was taken. She said, it's okay if you decide not to. We'll find somebody else. But I just wanted to ask you if you know, you'd be willing to take on this. And I was like, okay, well now I have to. <laughs> because she was basically saying, it's okay if you don't want to do it, somebody else will do it. But I'm just offering it to you first. <laughs> so I was like, okay, here we go. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, so that really, uh, that really touches me. And, and I think it's one of, it's, it's probably, it's the most, probably the most famous quote from this book. Um, and should be because um, Esther's in a position now where she can either do something about this or somebody else is going to do it. Mm -hmm. And if somebody else does it, it might not work out as well for you. Yeah. Um, so, um, and, and, and the other thing that, that impresses me, again, about Mordecai, um, is that he, he doesn't say, possibly someone else will take care of it. It might be that, you know, we can, we can work this out another way. He says, Deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you can do this, you can choose to do it, choose not to do it, but I know that God is not going to allow the Jewish people to get completely wiped out. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say maybe he won't. You know, I'm hoping that he won't. He says, "Well, okay, you can do it, or God will find another way to do it." Um, uh, it's uh, that 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 really impresses me about this chapter that um, that Mordecai said and and that um, and that he um, he when she says um, okay everybody pray for me um, and here's what I want you to do um, this is really I maybe the only time it's at least the first time in this in the book that Mordecai has done what she said I mean it it's been going the other way. He's been saying, you need to do this. And she's like, okay, so I'm doing it. Don't do this. Don't say anything. Fine, she doesn't. And then she says, you need to do this. And he's like, okay. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are the things about this chapter that, that really um, stand out to me. Yeah. Um, Joe and Elizabeth, I know y'all are coming in last minute, and that is fine if there aren't any specific things. But in that read-through, were there any other things that stood out to y'all as far as um, that were not mentioned you know, previously that y'all would like to add to that before we head to chapter five. I'm sure I read it before, but I have forgotten that it was actually against the law. I was just thinking it was dangerous <laughs> to your life into your own hands mm -hmm. when you did that because the king could, you know, execute you. Mm -hmm. But it was actually against the law. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Okay, all right, uh, we'll head into, head into the chapter 5, and I'll go ahead and read through that chapter. 
Esther chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner courts of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. When the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. Then the king said to her, What is troubling you, Queen Esther, and what is your request? Even to half the kingdom shall it shall be given to you. Esther said, If it pleases the king, may the king and Haman come this day to the banquet I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, that we may do as Esther desires. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. As they drank their wine at the banquet, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? For it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half the kingdom it shall be done. So Esther replied, My petition and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and do what I request, May the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king says. Then Haman went out that day glad and pleased of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand up or tremble before him, Haman was filled with anger against Mordecai. Haman controlled himself, however, went to his house, and sent for his friends and his wife Zeresh. Then Haman recounted to them, the glory of his riches and the number of his sons in every instance where the king had magnified him and how he had promoted him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman also said, Even Esther the queen, let no one but me come with the king to the banquet which she had prepared, and tomorrow also I am invited by her with the king. Yet all of this does not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows fifty cubits high made in the morning. Ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on it, and go joyfully with the king to the banquet. And the advice pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Okay, uh, Sherry, would you like to start us off with chapter 5? Okay, so um, um, this, is, this is the first banquet. Um, then we're going to have the second one in the next chapter. Um, uh, I um, I like how um, um, the the writer um, brings out Mordecai's complete I don't know if it, arrogance or ungratefulness. Or whatever, or just his petty nature. I don't. I don't even know how to describe it because he he um, he's he's recounting and the fact that he tells his wife and friends is just like ridiculous. But um, he he talks about how many blessings that he has. He doesn't call them blessings, but that's what it is basically. He's been honored above everyone. He's been invited to this banquet. He's got all these sons, and and everything is just going great for him. But there's this one guy that doesn't appreciate me for who I am. And it doesn't matter about all the other stuff. There's just this one guy that's getting under my skin. 
And I think that um, in, this, in the overall structure of the, of the book, like we've talked about before, chapter six is sort of the, uh, the turning point. Um, but this is sort of a, um, a foreshadowing of the turning point. Mm -hmm. Because anytime, I mean, pride goes before destruction. And so anytime um, uh, someone is bragging about all this stuff, but has this one thing, and this one guy in particular, it's like, okay, that guy's going to be your downfall. Mm -hmm. And um, don't when, get ahead of yourself now. Yeah, next chapter. Yeah, but, it, <laughs> but it's, 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 it's sort of is like a like a, a foreshadowing of okay, something's about to happen mm -hmm. regarding your relationship with this guy. Um, and it also shows, it shows when you have that much um, animus towards a person, it shows how much power that person has over you. So he's basically showing that even though I've got all these blessings that the king has blessed me with, this one guy is actually what's controlling my mood, my temper, my everything. When you have a thing about one person, uh, it's not bothering the other person, it's bothering you. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, that's the main thing that stands out to me in this chapter is just that it's, and then you know you have Mordecai, or Mordecai, you have uh, Haman um, taking advice again from his friends uh, and his wife and, um, and uh, it's just interesting to me that the, the, it's just full-blown irony and um, and uh, I just think it's interesting and, and, and that's part of what makes the, makes the book a fun read because um, that's what makes you know it fun to read things like this like okay it's building up to something you know it's building up to something you don't know what but you know okay this guy is getting under your skin too much mm -hmm. And that's going to be your downfall. So, good, Elizabeth. I think this is where we see something we didn't really talk about—the banquet a ton. Mm -hmm. But something I pointed out um, in the first section when we were talking about Vashti being deposed, got gotten rid of, kicked out. Um, there was, you know, they were drinking and they were making really poor decisions while mm -hmm. they were drunk. And I think this kind of ties into how much. Kind mm -hmm. of an idiot the king, the king was, where he's just not making good decisions. He's getting advice from all his friends. We don't really see him making like good decisions on his own. Then we have a banquet, and they're drinking wine, and we see how that kind of plays. In, I'm getting ahead of us mm -hmm. again, but that plays into the second banquet as well. Just um, uh, I just think that's kind of funny. And he's like, "Oh yeah, I'll give you whatever you want. You're so pretty. I'm so drunk. Mm -hmm. um, up to half the kingdom. Up to half the kingdom. That's a ton." Um, yeah, right. So, I don't know, it just always strikes me as really funny. Um, I think I may have mentioned to y'all, one of my friends was in like a theatrical production of Esther, and they just made the king such a big dope. It was, it was great. Um, but yeah, I really, this really makes you hate Haman a lot more. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you're supposed to hate him. He's the bad guy. But yeah, he goes home and is just so ungrateful, arrogant. I think all of the words you threw out were were very accurate. And I do I do love the irony that it sets up for this turning point. Mm 
-hmm. I know that wasn't a ton adding on to what you said, mm -hmm. but I think you got all the all the things that really stand out to me. Mm -hmm. um, so in the beginning of the chapter, one of the things that, okay, and this is the kind of this juxtaposition that I think that, you know, is standing out to me is verse two, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And just that theme over and over, she obtained favor. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it makes me have bring to mind Joseph, you know, and whether it is gone, well, I feel, I, I would believe, I guess, or think that it's a combination of God's working and Esther's humility, you know, kind of paired together of, it is someone who has humbled themselves so that they have become very, very comely, so to speak, you know, of like, this is someone that I want to raise up, you know, and that's kind of my impression of um, her before the king is, there is Esther, what can I do for her to honor her, you know, um, and so anyway, that, that stood out to me, and um, then in the latter half, of course, you've got the opposite of that, and, and just one more thing, from him bringing his friends and his wife in, it seems to me, I mean, they they do give him counsel and he takes it very happily, but it seems more of a let me vent, you know, all the things. Like you were saying, he does not recognize them as blessings. Let me just tell you how horrible this Haman is, you know, and just and spews just visceral junk. Well, that I, I cannot help but think, you know, to, I guess, examine myself and say, now, when I have sought counsel, have I really sought counsel or have I said, and I know, you know, there, there, are, there is a, an appropriateness to, you know, there being a, hey, I'm letting you know this next five minutes is a vent and then I'm done and I'm, you know, mm -hmm. but to be careful that I'm not, hey, can I get your advice on something and then just vent? I mean, it's really just about tearing someone else down and, you know, you know, puffing myself up and all that. Anyway, and I see that in Haman and how ugly, how, you know, how easily it is to see ugliness on someone else. Um, but just, you know, for my own sake to be careful that I don't fall into the Haman position of, you know, I've got all these things, but this thing isn't going my way, you know? Mm -hmm. And we see it in our kids all the time, you know, where it's like, and I, I vividly remember my parents having me draw this huge mound of gold, you know, just like little gold coins, and my brother and myself on top fighting over a penny. And they're like, you just, you don't get it. You are on top of blessings upon blessings, and you want to knock each other out over a penny. You know, and it just makes me think, you know, of the Haman example. And again, I, I very easily can fall into that circumstance of forgetting all the blessings because of one or two dumb things, you know. So anyway, I just, that one stepped on my toes a good bit and was very preachy. So I did and didn't appreciate that. So <laughs> anything from you ladies that in addition to those? Okay. All right, I, Elizabeth. Yes. 
I was going to say Burke Straczynski. Sorry. Uh, do you mind reading chapter six for us? I can do that. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, that were read before the king, and they were read before the king. And it was found how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, who had sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there, standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, came in and the king said to him, What should be done to, to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Who would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai turned to the, returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that the queen had prepared. All right, so... Sherry, you've already mentioned the ominous, you know, foreshadowing and dummies like me wait till the end of six before I go, ooh, <laughs> it's like, that, that's, you know, bad one. Um, anyway, but that's just, oh, that's such a good chapter. <laughs> okay. All right. So basically, um, just a few things I've got and then I'm going to let y'all go because I, I know there's a lot from this one to pull out um interesting things to me when sleep escapes and I <laughs> love that you know I can't sleep what I'm going to do go bring me the book of good deeds I I'm going to start a book of good deeds <laughs> in my home and go you know I never rewarded my kid for, <laughs> I don't know. anyway but I just love that idea of like I sleep what should I do go give me the book of good deeds let's go mm -hmm. reward somebody mm -hmm. so you know we can't praise him for very much but way to go Ahasuerus for you know using and uh, what is it uh, insomnia. Insomnia, insomnia for a good purpose <laughs> um, okay um, this is a sidebar it but it's on my mind because of well, so Wes Brown went through Ecclesiastes which led me to the rabbit hole of some evolutionary um, stuff with uh, a, a couple of people that are in the limelight and they're kind of going through their spiritual uh, 
what do they call it? Degradation or I don't know. But anyway, they're breaking down of their spiritual selves, I guess. Deconstruction. Deconstruction. That's the word. Mm -hmm. There you go. You may even know the ones I'm talking about. But anyway, so they're going through this deconstruction. One of them is going through the evolutionary stuff, and it's making me think of many of you know, a handful of my friends that have gone through that same line of reasoning but are coming to it from kind of different angles or whatever. Anyway, all that to say, um, we are so harsh, and I think anyone, and rightly so, and anyone in the world is harsh to a Haman-like character because, why? He's a selfish punk. Mm -hmm. And even people who are not religious would look at someone like that and go, it's a turd. I mean, that's mm. sorry. That's it's <laughs> not a nice person. I probably shouldn't have said that in a recording, but I. It just it it frustrates me because I and even this guy would say, "Well, no, I still want to be a good person, even though I can't say that there's a God." Why? What like why one? Why would you look at someone who is a selfish, all about self person, and think that there's something wrong with that? if you are believing in evolution and and carry that out to its, you know, mm -hmm. conclusion. Well, <clears throat> anyway, I, that just, that stuck out to me because I don't know of anyone who would read through this and go, you know what, Haman gets a bad rap. I mean, if they do, something's off there. <laughs> you know, like anyone, even not religious, mm -hmm. would say this is a self-centered person who only cares about himself. Mm -hmm. And that is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So... I know that's a total sidebar, but it just, it is, it's in my brain because of some of this, you know, evolutionary stuff that I, I don't, I haven't run across someone yet who can explain the morale question mm -hmm. of, you know, why we, you know, how we've come up with that, our own moral codes that universally are a problem. Sorry, mm -hmm. I, I hope I didn't spend too much time on that. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing, um, is just the omen at the end of since Mordecai is Jewish. Uh, let's see. If Mordecai, mm -hmm. before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. I just think that is so interesting mm -hmm. that this connection being brought out that, look, you are starting to fall before a Jewish man. This will not go well. Mm -hmm. And just that reputation mm -hmm. of these are God's people being brought out without it saying these are God's people. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that's that is interesting the way that that is brought out. Um, so those are things that stood out to me from chapter six. So uh, I wonder if he has been telling her before that um, Mordecai was Jewish. I it's know. weird that it would come up now and she mm -hmm. advised him to. He did. I was looking at that. Verse okay. 13 of chapter 5. Indeed. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Yeah. Now she says. Yeah. That <laughs> all was that my stuff person. I told you. Oh, so now. <laughs> well, yeah. You're and doing. I think. <laughs> yeah. Why did you say that before I had the gallows built? Exactly. I mean, seriously. <laughs> well, and that's what I think is like, okay, maybe this is a loophole way around it. Right. And you can get the upper hand. Well, oh no, you're starting to fall, and this is a Jew. Yeah, you're, you you got no chance. Not. Yeah, <laughs> I mean because before that, and that's what 
uh, and that I mean that's my thinking on it because mm-hmm. of him because now it's not just oh he won't bow before me he's getting honored in front of the king mm-hmm. I'm not you know what I mean mm-hmm. like things are starting to mm-hmm. connect well and, you had to lead him around <sighs> I know I mean this is human right mm-hmm. but that is hysterical like <laughs> him hilarious. putting the robe on it like I'm just and I know like who knows but in my mind it's like you know, and then to have to be the one to call out, this is the one who the king gets to honor. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. I mean, I... And then even his wife turns on him. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was him, that's how I would feel. <laughs> yeah, that is rough. Yeah. Okay, so Sherry, what else do you got from six? I just think, I mean, you were talking about how what kind of a person this is. Like, I think I try to put myself in, in these situations. If... The king asked me, what do you think I should do for this person I want to honor? That would not be what I would ask for. Yeah. Like, <laughs> seriously, to be, I mean, I guess he was thinking it's probably me and I've already got everything else. Right. Because if the king wanted to honor me like that, I wouldn't even think of that. I guess mm-hmm. it's kind of ridiculous, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but but that that's what he picks mm-hmm. for himself. I mean, because he's picking it for himself. Because yeah. he's like, the king wants to honor me. This is what I would want. And I'm thinking, oh, that. <laughs> like, there's so much more stuff that you could ask for besides this. Yeah. Um, but maybe he, like, couldn't think of anything else because he's already got everything else. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I just think it's hilarious that 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 this is what this is what he asks for. Like this is what he thinks of himself, and this is what he would want if the king were going to honor him. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Well, and even that it doesn't come to his mind like, oh, to honor someone, it, for what? What would this honor yeah. be for? You know, I mean, to yeah. me, that would be the next question yeah. of like, yeah. what would be an appropriate yeah. honor? But no, he just assumes that. Well, he's talking about me. Well, obviously, yeah, it's me. Obviously, he's talking about me because <laughs> I am so cool. Um, I just think that's hilarious, and that, um, uh, like we talked about before, the the other thing that stood out to me was just that his wise men and his wife were the ones who said, "Well, you need to have a gallows built and have him hanged on it." And now they're saying, oh, yeah, that's probably not the best idea. <laughs> um, right before he goes like, out. Yeah, you know. If he's a Jew. Well, I told you he was a Jew. Right. And you didn't say anything then. Um, so this is, this is it, it, his wife and friends, or, or calls them friends, and, and in, this, in this passage it calls them his wise men, um, are yes people. Mm-hmm. They're yes people. Yeah. They're not warning him about anything because he wouldn't have wanted to hear that. Right. Like, tell him what he wants to hear. Mm-hmm. And so they're yes people. They're like, oh, yeah, great, cool, cool. Build a gallows. That's what you should do, build a gallows, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what he would do anyway. Yeah. Um, and so um, now they're seeing, oh, well, the winds, the, you know, the fortunes of the wind has changed direction. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the wind's going that way now. So, yeah, I'm going that way. Right, and um, so that just proves that to me, and um, the fact that at the end of the chapter, it's like dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> the 
<laughs> so I just think, yeah, that, that they come to, to take him off to the feast and it's like, okay, this is not going well. Is <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, is interesting. Yeah. All right, Elizabeth, what have you got from six? Yeah, I definitely agree with all the points that have been made. I really liked um, y'all bringing up that like he didn't even think about like, oh, who are we honoring? Why are we honoring them? His brain was just like, oh, it's me. I'm wonderful. The king wants to honor me. And it just kind of speaks to this trend of arrogance. And I even think it kind of ties into the theme of not being him not being grateful. Like he has all this stuff and he's just going to pile more honor on top of himself. Um, and it really is like honor more than riches that he's looking for because that's why he hates Mordecai. So mm-hmm. he's not giving him that honor that he thinks he deserves. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, it is a very ridiculous thing that he asked for, but it kind of fits in with just his general pride and arrogance mm-hmm. and not being, he doesn't seem terribly bright in the first place. But, well, he's, he's like sneaky, but I wouldn't really call him smart. Um, mm-hmm. Something I meant to say about the last chapter that kind of ties in with this one, Haman and Zeresh kind of remind me of like Ahab and Jezebel, mm-hmm. where they're both like really terrible people and she's egging him on to do more terrible things. Mm-hmm. And then you have kind of the equivalent of the false prophets. They're like, yeah, you go, buddy. Do whatever you want. You want to punish that guy? That sounds great. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. really just being yes men. And it re- reminded me of a lot of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Ahab, where mm-hmm. there's another king who's like, hey, do you want to ask a prophet? And he's like, nah, that guy hates me. He only tells me bad stuff. But mm-hmm. it was like the one true prophet. Mm-hmm. Um So I just thought it was interesting where that's not something that's unique to bad kings in Israel. It's just bad people are going to want advice from people who agree with them. They're not going to listen to the truth because that's not what they want to hear. Um, I do, I really, this might be my favorite chapter just Mm -hmm. because I do think it is, it is hilarious and ominous and... Mm -hmm really interesting how all the stories kind of are starting to converge Mm -hmm. yeah um and again you know looking at his approach to the king versus esther's approach to the king Mm -hmm. where hers is a constant if it pleases the king Mm -hmm. and you know he's just you know yeah i'm your right hand guy so anyway it is interesting just the different Mm -hmm. positions that they put themselves in um so, uh, anything else from four, five, or six before we wrap up, and then next week we should yeah. finish up Esther at this point. Um, it wouldn't have mattered what Esther did if God didn't stir the king to be sleepless mm-hmm. and go to the book of good deeds or whatever. Mine said mm-hmm. something different there. And he didn't find this about Mordecai. It would have been too late because mm-hmm. Haman was going to speak to the king and and Esther hadn't talked to him yet about mm-hmm. what was going on mm-hmm. so God is intervening even before right. Esther gets there mm-hmm. to turn things back right in the Jews favor mm-hmm. yeah yeah well this is part of what I was saying the last time that um, um, we, we don't see God or prayer mentioned in this book but they're obvious. Um, and um, this is one of the, and what I said before was that 
Um, the reason that it's not, I mean, everybody says, well, there's a reason for that. Well, what's the reason? Well, nobody ever said. But the reason is that it's like explaining a joke. Like, if you have to explain it, it's not as funny. And in a story like this, if you have to say, hey, you know, God is in this the whole way, then it's not as obvious from the story. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you, if you've already told me that, then, then it, it doesn't have as much impact. And so it, the story is designed to draw the attention to God, who actually is the, the main character in this book, even though he's not mentioned, because of the way the book is written, it's obvious that he is. They don't, you don't, you don't, you don't have to tell me that God is the main character in this book. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those things um, where we talked about um, how that one of the things that, that, that leads us towards that conclusion is the constant introduction of coincidences, things that happen that just happened. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not really coincidences. Those are things where God intervened and said, oh, can I do this? Um, that don't have anything to do with what someone did. It's just a matter of timing. It's a matter of um, just this happened. Um, the fact that he honored Mordecai was totally not up to Mordecai and Esther. It was something Mordecai and Esther did. It was something that Mordecai did a while back, but it wasn't because of this. Right. Um, and so just the constant... Um, bringing up of things that just happened to happen. More, Haman just happened to be walking through the court at this particular time. Well, mm-hmm. that was not a coincidence. That was God. And uh, the fact that it doesn't say that um, sort of, it, it seems counterintuitive, <laughs> but it's sort of like a way of saying, this is God. <laughs> and it's obvious to anybody who reads it that that's what he's talking about. You don't have to say you know, well, God caused this to happen. Yeah, what are the chances? I mean, yeah. really, <laughs> yeah, right, how long exactly. ago did Mordecai save the king from? Yeah, it's, why in the world? I mean, you would think if you saved the king's life, you would have been honored immediately at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So how did that escape notice? Right. I mean, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, it makes me think too, Sherry, about something that you had mentioned before, um, and I feel like this is one of the, you know, many many reasons to be the Bible students that we ought to be. And that is, the more that we read books like the book of Esther, and then obviously all throughout scripture, where it helps us to kind of attune our vision and our thinking and who we are to be someone who sees things spiritually, who is cognizant, who is aware of God's presence, his movements, his you know action in our lives, I know we can't, you know, specifically pinpoint these are the things that God specifically did, but there, there is something to the awareness. And you have mentioned, you know, specifically, I can't, there are certain things that I can't look back on without the recognition that God's hand was in this, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I do think that there is an expectation from God for us to get to that point mm-hmm. that we see here are the lessons that God taught us mm-hmm. or here are the things that mm-hmm. um, we we couldn't have gotten to any other way other than God bringing that about mm-hmm. or God working through us or other people or, or that kind of thing. 
Um, and I hope that doesn't sound too charismatic leaning or anything like that because that's not my point in it. My point is I don't think we can ever get to that point where we read through Esther and see God, even though he's not mentioned, unless we are training ourselves through the reading of the scriptures and getting that kind of um, not just vocabulary, but that that way of thinking, that mm-hmm. mind shift, because obviously we're not going to get it from the world around us. Mm-hmm. That's just impossible. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I appreciate you bringing that up, and I appreciate you bringing up the... I mean, there's just so mm-hmm. many um, that I know I haven't picked up on all of them of specific things that God was doing mm-hmm. that is not specifically brought mm-hmm. out verbatim. So. Well, it's like, um, it reminds me, I, I can't remember when it was, but it hasn't been that long ago since y'all haven't been here that long, that Seth, um, in a lesson, I don't remember if it was a Bible class or a sermon or whatever, was talking about um, how providence, it's not like, you can't predict it. It's not preemptive. Um, it's not like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm not going to do this because, um, because God is going to, you know, work it, work it out for me. It's more um, sort of retroactive. It's not proactive, it's retroactive. You look back on it and go, okay, that was God. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you can't bank on that because you don't know if it is. Right. You don't know if this is, you know, this, does God want me to buy this house? Does God want me to take this job? Whatever. Um, it's, it's retroactive. It's more like when you do that, then you can look back on it and see, okay, yeah, that that was that was a God thing, but but you can't you can't count on that preemptively because you don't know unless it's something that you've gotten from the Word. Yeah, that you know, unless it's something specifically the Word has told you. And I, I think that is one of the most frustrating things, at least it is for me, and I would assume it is for others too. Is I do think that is part of God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Is that no. You don't get to know until you've taken the steps, right? You know, and I and and you know, anytime that you know, Seth and I have looked at, you know, okay, should we go to this work? Should we not? You know, and making those decisions, and and it, there's always part of me that goes, okay, well, I mean, how do we know if it's the right thing or the place we should be? And he says, we don't until we get, you know, <laughs> and it, I hate that answer, but that's true. You don't. Until right. you've gone and, you know, done what you can do and see if you can be helpful or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one example. Yeah. I mean, how, yeah. I mean, I know y'all have probably countless examples throughout your life of different things like that where you look back and go, oh, okay, well, I did not know that was going to turn out that way. And, mm-hmm. um, and, but how beautiful that is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and how faith building that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, our, well, and, and your character. So I mean, we see that with, 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 with in this book, your, your character, you're not the sum of what has happened to you. Yes. You're the person who does what you do. And so whatever circumstance you've been in, if it was that God wanted you to do that or not wanted you to do that, if you're doing what he wants you to do and you're acting the way that you should be acting, then it's not based on the circumstances based on it's based on your character yeah and that's what we see in this I mean there's lots of coincidences and things but ultimately 
certain people have acted in a certain way and that's produced consequences that have been good or bad for them. Yeah, excellent. All right, next week, finishing up Esther. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.